Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Gestalten podcast presented by Concept House Pathfinder, your number one tool to find the latest internship and entry-level positions in the car design industry. And my name is Martin Groschwald. And for this week's episode, I would like to introduce Michael Tullo, who is a very versatile designer. He has worked for companies such as Nike, Converse, and Frock in the way past, is now a freelance designer with his own little design studio. And the reason why I invited him was that very recently I discovered that he did a series of videos that you will find in the description of this episode as well, where he challenges BMW's design language and you know, proposes a new kind of direction. And I found this very interesting, especially with somebody who comes more from a product-oriented background but is still very interested in car design and also having the skill of understanding the production methods behind it to have a discussion with. And uh, I do have to say it was a long but a very successful and very uh, thoughtful discussion with Michael. So enjoy. All right, Michael, welcome to the Gestalten Podcast. Pleasure to have you in this episode, and uh, I hope all is well in the U.S. for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to be on, and um, yeah, all things considering, in the crazy times we're in, thing, things are good for us. So good, good. So uh, to give the the listeners a little bit of a background. I recently reached out to you because I saw this video where you are discussing um, a BMW and, you know, where you, you know, very politely, but still with a lot of, you know, knowledge from your side, dissect its new front and make a new front out of it where you, you personally think this is the direction that BMW should go towards. And I saw this and I was like, this is very interesting because um, you, you're not this kind of typical car designer. You are someone who comes from a different background, uh, more product-oriented, has worked for a number of different companies in the past. So let me start the, the podcast with, with, with that one question. What draws you to car design and what, what is that passion that, uh, that you have maybe internally when it takes you to car design as a, as, as a, as a whole? Um, that's, a great, that's a great question to start here. I think for many of us that love cars for for me uh it was at a young age i think i was growing up um in the suburbs uh outside of new york city and so a car was freedom right a car was about can i get somewhere and be with my friends and that feeling of like i couldn't wait until my 16th birthday which in the us is when you can get a driver's license and i mean i was ready that day to go <laughs> take my test. <laughs> and so that, that sense of, um, I can go where I want, I can do what I want. I can, you know, meet my friends at the mall or go meet my girlfriend and that, that sense of freedom. And then, and I think that really boils into a, a sense of expression. Um, and I, I can kind of pinpoint the moment. I, I remember we didn't have a lot of money when I, I was growing up, but, uh, my father was friends with a car dealer and his car had to go into the shop and somehow he convinced the car dealer 
to lend him uh, a 19, like probably 1980, 1979 uh, Corvette Stingray for the weekend. Nice. <laughs> and I was, I was a little boy and I remember my dad getting out on this country road and saying, Hey, Michael, you want to go on a roller coaster ride? <laughs> And just, that was the moment, you know, like in this Corvette Stingray on a twisty country road, um, at a probably five years old. Um, so, uh, for, for me, I've always been like, and that's probably a pretty common story. It's just in, in love with that feeling, um, of, of the car, uh, and, and that, I think that expressiveness has always kind of found its way into design for me, no matter what I'm designing, whether it's a shoe or a watch or, um, you know, any of the many categories I've worked on over the last 25 years. And how is that kind of feeling for the car? Has that, has that always influenced you in your day-to-day work? I mean, you know, you worked for Nike, you worked for Converse and... Um, you know, we had a conversation very recently with uh, Sonny Lim from Puma. Oh, yeah. I and of that. course, you know, he's, he said like, oh, you know, we like a lot of our designers, they come from car design because the shoe and the car are not that, that far away from each other. Um, was that all something that you had in your mind, you know, back then in the early 2000s and mid 2000s where, hey, you know, the car and the shoe is not that far away from each other? Did it influence you? Did it inspire you? Or how was this, you know, the, how did the car world be a a day-to-day part of your life? Well, certainly I'm attracted to working on products that have, in a way, a fixed function, right? Like all cars relatively do the same thing. All watches tell time, you know, within a second of each other. And you can spend $35 on a watch and you could spend $350,000 on a watch. They both tell Mm. time. Uh, All chairs do the same thing. All sneakers do the same thing. Um, and so, and obviously there's, there's a continuum there, there's de- degrees of function and, and specific features, um, and archetypes within, within those categories. But, uh, there's also a lot of personal expression that comes with those. And there's, you know, even though every watch tells time within a second of each other, there's almost an infinite amount of uh, options for people. And, and obviously, arguably, you don't even need a watch. In many situations, you don't even need a car. So, um, you know, I, I think I gravitate towards those things. And then, you know, as a, again, as a kid growing up in the 80s, you know, I think footwear was my other, other love. You know, I loved Jordans. Um, I loved the Nike Hirachi series in the 90s. Uh, and when I was in school, in my, my senior year of design school, I had two sponsored projects. One was for Nissan. The other was for Nike. And I think that's when I really caught the footwear bug. And I think the other interesting thing about designing footwear, obviously, again, all the expressiveness of a car, um, but somebody can own three, five, 10, 15, 20 pairs, right? So they can, you can take more risk because it's not their only pair of shoes, right? Whereas you know, if somebody is going to buy a Ford Fiesta, it's like, that's their car and it has to be very functional. Um, and then the other interesting thing about footwear is that largely still to this day, one designer designs a, a shoe and, and, you know, at Nike, it was pretty common for a designer to design six new shoes a year. And my average was more like nine to 12. Um, so there's just so much opportunity to fail and learn 
and make new things and um and and there's appetite on the part of the organization to take risk because there's so many models especially when i was a designer in jordan where you know that's that brand is known for putting out shoes that sometimes people don't like initially because they're so far on the edge and then over time they become classics it's interesting that you mentioned obviously the, the jordan brand into that because um i and as probably as many other of our listeners have watched the the netflix series abstract yeah and there is this episode which is on tinker hatfield mm -hmm. and i think you know even if people don't know the shoe world um you know one can say that tinker hatfield was the guy who brought jordan into play uh you know he designed the shoes with michael jordan back in the day and kind of established that brand with him and within nike of course as well so um do you think is when you work on such an, a brand and, you know, this could be like a Jordan brand, it's such a strong name. It could be a car brand. Uh, you obviously talked about BMW in your videos um, to, to, to that extent. Can that be more of a burden because you do have a certain kind of history or you do have that pressure or does it actually give you more freedom? Um, you know, because you see like, oh, hey, we have, you know, we, we have this strong brand, so that allows us to do more stuff in this entirety. Because I, it, it seems like at the moment, and when we come to the car design, uh, you know, to car design in general, then it's obviously going to be a bit more problematic. But it seems oftentimes that there is this wish for innovation, but then it just becomes, you know, an iteration right. to be to be. Well, I, I think they're very different challenges, and so. Um, I think as a designer, you have to respect the challenge you have. So in the automotive world, for example, uh, a few years ago, we worked on some autonomous vehicle concepts for um, SAIC, S-A-I-C, the Chinese car company. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there we have a blank slate. So we have a very different challenge of like, what does this new, you know, relative globally new brand mean in a very new space? And, you know, we can break down the semantics of, What does that brand want to be, you know, as a as a personality? Uh, but in, when designing for for a brand like Jordan, and you have this history, um, you you owe it to yourself as a designer to put your ego aside and investigate what is the best thing for the brand, right? You you have all these uh, dots in time, and you can plot a traje trajectory, and then um, basically chart out where the next dot is in space and then play with that, right? Plus or minus. But if you ignore that, I think um, you're doing a disservice, not, not only to the brand, but really to yourself as a designer, because you're, you're letting yourself get in the way. Um, and like, I've done a lot of work with Icon four by four in LA and they, they kind of remanufacture um, existing vehicles. So, you know, you can get these uh, Toyota FJs and Ford Broncos that, are you know with new chassis new running gear and so i work with jonathan on detailing out a lot of those vehicles especially a lot of interior elements and i have to put aside my aesthetic my ego as a designer and we always say to our jonathan and i when we start a project we say like what would the original designer have done with our techniques and our budget and so um 
that has been a really great exercise for me as a designer to just see where that goes. Uh, Cause it, it can really, it's really taken me into new places. And uh, likewise, when I worked on the Converse brand, I was, I was design director at Converse for three and a half years and it's a hundred year old brand. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's not only a hundred, it's a hundred year old brand that basically invented the basketball shoe and like the brand that, Kurt Cobain was wearing when he died, right? It's like the brand that Ramones wears, the brand that Snoop Dogg wears. So it's like, you have to be really careful because if you step outside of those, that spectrum of solutions, you have to have some really good reasons. And I think, you know, that's where, that's what really inspired me to do the BMW video, basically. Would you say that let's say product designers are much more aware of the company and the brand as a whole than let's say a car designer? Um, to be frank, I don't think so. <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I look at product design, I see, I mean, I mean I'm as much of a Dieter Rams fan, fan as the next designer, but yeah. I call it the, the Dieter Rams cul-de-sac. I see so many young product designers just making a, uh, you know, a G2 curvature continuous block and then, you know, putting a logo on it and being like, oh, it's the new blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I feel really, um, and I say this, I say this with like, with love because I'm, I'm a huge Apple fanboy, but I feel so disappointed in Apple that they haven't moved the needle. They're the industry leader in their space. Mm -hmm. And they have just led everyone into this cul-de-sac and, and no one is leaving it. Everybody's just trying to like iterate, you know, a radius or a camera bump. And, um, you know, I, I've worked on tons of smartphone projects and all of them start out. I, I give you the trajectory of every single one of those projects. They all start out with, we'd like to design the anti-smartphone or the anti-iPhone. Okay, great. Here's a bunch of directions based on your brand, based on trends, based on what's going on in the world, in other categories like interior design, architecture, automotive design. So here's a bunch of options that are the anti-iPhone. Yeah, we're just going to make a black iPhone. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's, so, um, it's so frustrating as a designer when you, when you present solutions that are not only different, different is easy. Um, but that are right and appropriate and well thought out. And the, the solution is, oh, we're just going to copy the, the industry leader. Mm. Uh, you, you, you just mentioned Dieter Rams there. And I, I personally recently watched the, the documentary by Gary Huswit about him, uh, which to all of our listeners, if you, if you enjoy Dieter Rams or if you enjoy that kind of style of documentary, um, you know, do yourself a favor and have a, have a look at it and watch it. But uh, Dieter Rams, like, you know, what, 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 what you really learned from that documentary is he was extremely stubborn on one, on the one hand, but he always came in and said, like, if we follow through a design language, you know, no matter what, then of course we will succeed. So he was not about this idea of changing everything just for the sake of changing it, but he was about you know, he was about evolution. He was about the occasional revolution. And it's almost like when Chris Bengel said, like, you know, you need to have a revolution, a revolutionary phase, then you have the evolutionary phase, and then you start all over again. Right. And, you know, this, this almost goes back to, to what Rams has done as well. And like, you know, his 10 points of design and thesis of design, 
in, include that, of course, as well. But um, I think this is the big difference. You know, it's like you you have these guys and now with Johnny Ive obviously having left Apple, it's going to be interesting to see what they have done. But they were following principles. Like, you know, they were not just following, oh, here's a design trend or whatever. They were following certain kind of principles on what they think is the best for the company. And it was carried on by the by the entire company. And, you know, Rams is a very good example for that. Uh, very early Apple with Johnny Ive, of course, as well. And some kind of car companies do that as well. But I, I personally see that as, as almost the biggest problem is that they think like a lot of companies just think that they need to change stuff just to be new rather than developing, uh, you know, their style uh, in that sense. And I think that's always the question of where where's the start and where's the end of that? Um, and, you know, where at what point do you copy and at what point are you maybe too late to, to, to be a revolutionary again or maybe you're a little bit too early in that sense? But I, I see that as the biggest problem is oftentimes that the companies don't trust themselves enough. They just think that, we need to change and change and change. Maybe you you change too much. Look at look at Audi. I mean, I'm I'm a huge Audi fan. I've owned a bunch of Audis, uh, and I I feel like the Schreier years, you know, from from the mid '80s up mm-hmm. into the the mid aughts, are like you could see, you know, every model evolve in a direction and become more and more Audi, and then it's just like they lost the plot. It's like it's like somebody looked at a bunch of bangle flame surfaces and was like, "Oh, we got to do a bunch of stuff like that." And now I'm just like, "Man, I don't." You know, I I look at those new Audis now, and I, there's not a car in the lineup that I would want. And I've I've owned a bunch of Audis, <laughs> so um, it's a uh, you you really can lose your core your core uh, consumer. I 100% agree. Yeah, I think you know, obviously you 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 you've made the video about BMW and. BMW could be argued to go into a similar kind of direction. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's what's the future? They killed something like BMW i, you know, even though they say like, okay, there's this i4 concept and all these kind of things, but really BMW i is is dead. And what, what's coming after it? You know, what's it's the same with Audi. I mean, what 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 is it now? Is it just a big grill? Uh, is it just you know being aggressive? Is it what they would call sporty is it you know still you know the logo or the theme of Vorsprung durch Technik like you know uh, advancement through technology I don't know I have a little bit of a feeling that um, we, we, we happen to be in this kind of age of consumer design uh, obviously you, you mentioned you've worked on on SAICs uh, earlier which is very much led by China is that you know you do something new every single year or every like half year and it's almost it's not even a fashion statement anymore it's just like you know we need to update it and needs to be it needs to be upgraded every 6 months and then the question is is it still you know functional or is it still becoming or is it just becoming a habit of having the latest thing i i feel like and by the way when i i criticize these brands like apple or or bmw or or audi i i should preface this by saying like i i respect how difficult the designers challenges are and the internal politics that often come into play with a lot of these decisions and the internal overthinking. Um, and I think, uh, I, I think there's not sometimes not enough separation. I've, I've worked corporate for, um, you know, more than half of my career. So I, I understand that. I think sometimes there's not enough separation between what I call design with a lowercase D and design with a capital D and, 
design with a lowercase d, I define as, you know, it's like, what's the CMF? What's the shape doing? What's this cross section? And those are all important decisions. Um, but they, they, and they will, they will affect the overall experience, of course, and, and, you know, the net promoter score of the product, but design with a capital D is, should we even be making this at all? Or should we be making something else? And, you know, when I, again, so that goes to your question with like the BMW eyeline and, you know, it's, we have the same conversation about Apple Siri, right? Like was way out ahead of everybody else in terms of voice agents and then just like let it languish. And the same with the iSeries, right? Out ahead in terms of EV platforms. And and now it's like, I mean, the new electric mini basically has the same range as the limited test electric mini from like 10 years ago. And you're like, it's more expensive, it's heavier, and it has less range than all of its competitors. And you're like, who would buy this product? You can't rely on your consumers being stupid. You know, consumers are smart. They can, they can go look at an article that has a chart with range and like dollars per, per kil- kilometer range, right? And you're like, well, how, how much does the mini design language allow you to inflate that dollar amount? And especially when you have maybe lost the thread on that design language, right? Compared to the first new mini, the, the Frank Stephenson designed one. So just to be really frank, obviously, I'm just really blunt. But do you think that's a problem of maybe the power of the design department and then obviously in particular, of course, of the management, of course, as well? Or would you say this is, um, you know, like maybe marketing is too strong because obviously that can be, you know, we can go on, on and on and on and on uh, with other brands. Like just Mini is, a, is an example for this, but where is this push supposed to come from? I oftentimes have the feeling, especially at this moment in time, is that either the design department is not as strong as it needs to be to like, you know, push for certain things or they, they don't necessarily understand the complexity of how important, you know, these pushes forward are. I mean, especially if we look back into BMW's time with Bango, um, you know, like uh, I, I, I just couldn't imagine that something like a Gina concept would be able to come out of BMW as a group uh, nowadays, because it seems a little bit just like I don't know, maybe just design is not as powerful within the group anymore. Yeah, and I don't. That's a great question. I, I can't speak to um, you know this. Well, we can we can obviously do this as a you know as a general question. Yeah. Do we think that, you know, design departments are not as powerful to push for these new ideas? I mean, you know, this is BMW was an example, but we can go for almost anything. And Apple is a great example for that. Right. And, and, and I think my theory is that you can tell when companies aren't led by product people. And so to me, it's, it's not even a question of the power of design. Because uh, in a way at Apple, it's, it's not that, Jonathan, I've had a lot of design. It's that everybody at the company, starting with Steve Jobs, really cared about product and cared about design. And I remember reading an, an, an interview with Johnny Ive, who, and he was saying, it's, it's not that we have better designers here. It's that our engineers care about design. Our, 
our salespeople care about design. It's that everybody cares about it. And so to me, it's, it's not about um, a struggle as, or internal power as much as everybody really wanting to make the right product. And, you know, I've, I've worked in companies where there's product planners and product managers who didn't really know that much about the product and, and didn't have a passion for it. And so if you don't have a passion for it, if it's just a widget, that's how you end up with products that, that don't have, you know, relevant uh, features, specs that are not the right thing to make. Because by the time, especially in car design, as you know, by the time it gets to the, the designer, a lot of those decisions are effectively made, right? Like you already know how much the steering wheel needs to cost. And so if somebody's not aware, isn't passionate about the, the industry and isn't seeing where all these different trends in interior design are going and how people are, companies are, are putting much more into that, then you're going to end up with not a large enough bomb. And then there's just not a lot you can do with it other than put a bunch of Baroque styling elements on it. And I, I think that's where these brands have gotten to. It, it's really, it really is like Baroque architecture or late Victorian architecture, right? And it's just waiting for that breakthrough into modernism again, where somebody, mm. like, can we just strip all this bullshit off? Can we just take all this frosting and gargoyles and like curly cues off of this garbage and get down to like, oh, this isn't actually a good thing. Let's make a good thing. Yeah. But do you, okay, then let me ask you this kind of question. Um, do you think that coming down to the relevance and let's say the function of a product um Do you think that maybe product designers are much more oriented like that because, you know, the products are, you know, under even more pressure oftentimes from budget than, let's say, car designers? Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if I can make the generalization, but, um, you know, cer certainly for me, you know, that's certainly something like that I, I start with. And when, when we were doing that project with um, SAIC a few years ago, it was really, they were really baffled because in the process, we were starting so differently. We, we were starting with uh, a plan view seating arrangement. <laughs> and they were like, why are we, and literally it was just like an outline with, you know, form, human forms just like arranged. And they're like, why are we starting this way? And I'm like, because we're making an autonomous large vehicle that no one is driving and this arrangement of people is going to drive everything with the, with the way this vehicle looks. And the insight that we, this is all public, this is public work now. The, the insight that we riffed off of was when you're a child, like when, when you're a child, your parents are driving you, right? And you're in the back seat. Where are you looking? Are you looking forward? Are you looking backwards? Are you looking inward? No, you're looking out the window. And so we arranged all 12 seats um, in two rows of six looking outward and knowing that people will have their own devices, you know, they don't need a, a central pro you know, holographic projector living room setup. They might not know each other. They, even if they do know each other, they're probably on their own devices. So anyway, people looking outward. And so that drove the whole interior and exterior design theme exploration. But first I wanted alignment on that idea. Um, and so I guess just 
taking thing. I, I think I, I think it's time for designers to really question the process. It's that that Albert Einstein quote of um, you know insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and <laughs> different results. Well, if car design is always following the same process, where the product planners come down from on high and tell you everything, and then you just you know wrap a few different millimeters of lines over it. Um, well, you're going to end up with these more and more Baroque over-decorated things, because that's the only thing the designer can affect. Mm. I mean, this is like, you know, if you look into car design in particular, there's this, uh, let's say complaint about car designers, uh, you know, when it comes to engineers and they always say, oh, you know, the engineers always tell us uh, we've always done it like that. So we're going to do it again right? Uh, because it works. But I would almost argue that within transportation design as a whole so not just within 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 car design because i think that would be unfair and i don't want to say that all the designers have no ideas or something like that but it's more about you know um in the conversation i had with lutz fugener from the university of Pforzheim, he said are we are we innovating nowadays or are we just iterating and you know he argued that we have not innovated in the last 50 years Uh, when it comes to mobility, because it's technically still the same, just because it's a little bit bigger or smaller doesn't necessarily mean you innovate uh, in that sense. So um, is it actually possible for these bigger companies to innovate? Or do you need companies such as, let's say, Canoe um, to come into the, into, the, into the play and say like, hey, we need to think about stuff differently. You know, uh, we need to think about it more from maybe a product approaching Uh, direction or from you know a more digital approach and learn from these the facts and implement them into our day-to-day -day workflow rather than ignoring them and just do what we've always done well i'd say look at companies like nike right who continue mm -hmm. who continue to redefine manufacturing processes uh their category i mean when i first started at nike in 2003 um shocks was out and that was a 15-year project Uh, yeah. when I first started, they had these huge, um, uh, Israeli made circular knit machines that were designed to knit socks, just like sitting in these labs and, uh, and like literally imagine like hundreds of needles, like sewing needles arranged in a big circle and it would knit a tube. And I remember being, you know, asking Tink, uh, cause I would always go down and try to hang out with Tinker and the team down there. And I remember asking like, what? what is this thing? And they're like, someday this is going to knit a shoe <laughs> and they have to find it. I mean, it was a 15 year project. Um, and, but they, they have these things of like, okay, like what is one of the biggest, uh, you know, they, they saw the like ever increasing need for newer models. Right. And they're like, what is one of the biggest barriers uh, with developing new models and making shoes? It's the labor. And so how would we, you know, reduce labor, or control labor costs. Well, like, wouldn't it be great if a machine could make the upper? Because that's very labor intensive and very tedious work. And so how could we do that? Well, it'd be great if we could knit it like a sock. And it, like, you could see the, the way of thinking. And then that, that new technique of manufacturing led to an aesthetic explosion of like, wow, here's these very different looking shoes because they're made in a completely different way. Um, you know, imagine if a car you know, it, with, with a car, right? Like what's like your biggest expense, your biggest expense is tooling. So like, what if we could find a way 
to eliminate or reduce tooling costs, right? So it's like, and how would that change the aesthetic? Um, so, you know, again, starting from an idea and so, sometimes that idea is a manufacturing uh, insight. Sometimes that idea is a consumer insight. Sometimes that idea is a brand insight. Uh, but starting there and then designing versus like, I just want to, I just want to put a bunch of hotlines on a page. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, I've, I've never, I've, I've consulted for car companies um, in the past. I've, I've consulted for Honda, um, uh, for Chorus, um, for SAIC, like we talked about. I do work for Icon, but I've never worked uh, in-house at an automotive company, though I've, I've interviewed, I've, I've been asked to interview quite a few of them. And I remember one of the last times I interviewed them, I was, I was showing my work and the person interviewing me said, you know, Michael, it looks like when you draw something, you know what every line is doing in space. Like you've like built a CAD model in your head. I thought it was a compliment. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> a compliment. <laughs> and he was like, oh, what we're looking for is more like pieces of art that we will get excite management and then we'll figure out how to make that a car. And I just was like, have you ever thought of maybe that's why all your cars suck? (laughs) All your cars are terrible. Like they're like, nobody, nobody wants these. Your sales are going down. Designers don't respect the direction. And yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like you made a piece of art and then you tried to like smash it onto a platform. And when I look at all the cars that we love, they weren't designed that way. Like you think even like a, like look at like a, a Mark three golf, right. And you're like, man, that thing is like to the millimeter quite perfect. And, and, uh, and the Mark four. And, and it's like, I feel like those products were designed with the package in mind and, and it shows. From, from, from my experience, this is the biggest, let's not, let's not say issue, but the biggest drawback the car industry actually has um, is this kind of question of are we building art or are we building or are we doing design in that sense? You know, I think um, the industry such as the shoe industry, and I had this conversation with Sonny as well and like, you know, with a bunch of other people, they always say like, you know, we, we're not in this to make it an art. We're in this because, you know, we're being paid that, you know, this is going to sell at some point. So we have to have an idea about what's going on at the moment. We have to have an idea about, you know, manufacturing processes because we might only be able to do, you know, a shoe for like two, three, four hundred dollars, uh, a very limited edition because then that's being being bought out. And uh, you know, that's that's for me always the question about designers nowadays. I oftentimes have the feeling these these guys who think more in the product world they understand how the entire business runs, whereas the car guys are almost happy just like, oh, let's 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 make a beautiful picture. Um, you know, almost like you know what you just mentioned as well. But I don't know if this can be the future because you know, in these beautiful pictures, of course, a lot of people can make them and a lot of people can can draw them. But if I then see where things develop right now, with you know, such as passenger safety, um, pedestrian safety, and all these laws and legalities that are going on, the cars are looking more and more the same. So I would say it's almost more important that the designer thinks about new ideas rather than just a fancy little sketch to make the cars look different again. 
Yeah. And if we look into someone like Tesla, and I know a lot of people have criticized the Cybertruck, but that is almost like taking the idea back and say, just like, okay, so we, we need to be, we want to be cheaper. Uh, we want to be efficient on our manufacturing. So what can we do? So it's almost like the complete opposite goal of, let's say the beauty of a product is not the most essential one, but it needs to fit its purpose in the best possible way. And it's almost like, it's a very refreshing point of view to do something like that. And obviously it, it gets a lot of criticism from the general car industry. And I had a little bit of the feeling that the car guys said like, oh, this is terrible. And a lot of the product guys, uh, industrial designers said like, this is actually like, it's just an, a bigger industrial product or like a you know product design. So what's wrong with it? Mm-hmm. I think they're both right in, in that. I feel like I, 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 what I love about it is that um, like we talked about, they started with a process, a manufacturing process, and let that lead them. So I think that yeah. led to because they they because they have a different, they took a different approach. It led to a different result, and I think that was great. I think also it was great that it was so provocative in a way that energized and got so many people talking about design. So I love those two things about it. On the flip side, on the on the I don't feel like it was the right thing for the brand. Uh, and I don't think it's the right thing for the future. Like to me, it's, it's a, the, that should have been like maybe a starting point to be like, okay, mm-hmm. like, that, that shouldn't have, to me, it, it wouldn't have been, if I was head, head of design there, it wouldn't have been what I showed. It would have been the starting point to like, okay, now let's also, now let's design it again. Um, because I feel like to me, it's like, feels very much like uh i don't know the only way i can describe it is like it's like the aesthetic of evil you know like like it looks very <laughs> apocalyptic it looks like you know like looks like darth vader's shuttlecraft but in a, yeah. in a vehicle form and i don't think that's that's not what what i want to see as a vision for the future right now when we're we're dealing with these countries becoming more nationalistic and more authoritarian and global pandemics and you know the world is scary enough i don't need this like ballistic tech bro thing rolling the starbucks you know <laughs> but I, well and then i do appreciate the first half of that so well yeah and then on the other hand i think you know you've mentioned something interesting now when it comes to the brand just imagine um you know somebody like hummer or Jeep, or, you know, even Mercedes with the G-Wagon would have come up with this, mm-hmm. where there's a certain, um, let's say, simplicity to the products in in general, you know, so you can say, well, maybe for a company like that, it would have, it would have worked out. Um, you can also say you have the, I don't know if you know this car, it's the, the Resvani tank, yes. which is this massive kind of, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not called you know, tank just for fun. It really looks like a tank on wheels. Um, but these kind of cars make a lot of sense for that. That's why I was thinking about the Hummer as well um, for something like that. And uh, I think with Tesla, it's a little bit of just like, look, we don't care that much of like what we are right. in that sense. We just, we, we, we're just here for a bigger purpose and not just for, you know, like this car needs to be looking beautiful or something like that. Um, and, and, and that's what I find interesting. You know, it's, it's challenging about what is it that the product is actually all about? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think for me, had they not had, um, previous vehicles, I'd probably be more on board with it, but 
I, I, I always thought that their design philosophy was somewhat genius, like in terms of going back to the Model S. Um, and that was like, they just built a beautiful fastback sedan, right? It's like, and um, I remember, so the, the last corporation I worked for um, was a company named Sound United. I was chief design officer there. Um, they own a, a bunch of audio brands like Polk, Denon, Marantz. Um, and the first CEO that I worked for there, he was, you know, not particularly, uh, he wasn't an environmentalist by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination, but he got a Model S as soon as he could, because he just thought it was a beautiful car. And then, you know, then he saw his electric bill going up. So he built this huge solar array on his house and he's like, I'm like the most green person I know. And I you know, like, I <laughs> like tricked rich people into being environmental. And uh, yeah. And I thought that was freaking brilliant just by making a, a they, they took car design of like making just something pretty and like turned it in on itself. And I thought that was a really cool inversion. And I, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends who are in car design are super critical of the model three, but it, mm-hmm. it looks good. I mean, I think the front end of it is awesome. Um, you know, I love how little, meat there is over the the wheelhouses like you know uh, yeah it's you know it's got it's a little maybe uh ungainly towards the back and it kills me that it doesn't have a hatchback the way the model s does that they they made a i think a somewhat maybe egotistical decision to have a solid piece of glass um just to say they had the biggest piece of glass in production and got rid of a great feature which is a huge trunk opening is which is actually fun i probably would own it if it wasn't if it had that more functional trunk opening. Um, and they were obviously quite polarizing on the interior. I mean, the fit and finish maybe could be better and some of the detailing could be better in there, but just the, the architecture of the interior is, is quite unique, obviously, and producty. So I don't know. I, I, to me, I felt like they were on a roll with the Model S and the Model 3. We'll skip over the X. Um, and, and maybe that's just what they'll do. Every other one will be kind of like a, a hit, <laughs> but, um, uh, anyway, I do, but I, like I said, I do respect the courage. I mean, it's just like utter bravery it took to, to launch that thing and, and, um, and take such a different approach. When we stick to the car industry, which kind of car brand do you think, um, and you know, as a, as a, maybe like a personal project or something like that, would you love to go to and just try to, you know, push for a turnover, like, you know, push for a change, uh, maybe go back to basics or, you know, change something completely. I mean, obviously you did these videos on BMW, um, and we'll, we'll link them into the description of the podcast as well. But is there any kind of brand is where you say, like, I think they really do need a little bit of a, of a change in terms of what they're doing, not necessarily because they're doing bad work, but it's just like, you know, something just needs to change. Well, I, I'm a, I'm sure you could probably tell, like I'm a huge brand geek. I think I, I definitely have a little bit of a marketing brain and I, I love thinking about the history of a brand. And when I, when I design something, it's like, I'm almost thinking of what would the commercial be for that thing? What would be the advertisement? Um, and, and I almost like work backwards a little bit. Um, and so, you know, and I, I think that's why, even though I've never been a BMW owner, obviously have a huge respect for the brand. Um, and I've always kind of loved what it stood for. And so, you know, I think, 
uh, I'm a, uh, I post a lot on this designer forum, got the course77.com forums, and there's literally a, a 150 page discussion back and forth between designers called what is BMW doing? And that's what and I finally, after seeing like one concept car too many and like the new I four concept, I was like, Oh my God, I just can't resist it anymore. I don't want to criticize, <laughs> but I was just like, I just want to show what a different approach would be. Um, not that it was right, but it's just, you know, what I could think of in 20 minutes, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> until, you know, I think, whereas I, I think, in a, in a weird way, like working for, for Porsche or even Kia would be really difficult because they're doing a great job. Like, I feel like I look at those brands and I'm like, I mean, like as, as bad as something when, if you described taken to me or the Cayenne to me, I'd be like, Oh my God, that's going to be terrible. And you look what they did with it. And you're like, Oh man, that is just, that's a Porsche. It's beautiful. awesome, It's perfect. Uh, and, and the, the, I would say almost meteoric um, evolution and rise of design at places like Kia and Hyundai. I'm like, wow. And like looking at some of these new Genesis concepts, you're like, that's, those are going to be great products. And, you know, they're going to, they supposedly have, have green lighted the Genesis mint, which is a little luxury hatchback as uh, EV. And I'm like, yeah, that's give me that man. I'm ready for that. Um, Brands that I would love to work on. I mean, obviously, as I stated, a huge Volkswagen, Audi um, nerd, and and I've owned a bunch of vehicles from both those brands, and I feel like they've gone astray a little bit. And I, I'd love to work on those. Um, so many American brands have such storied histories, uh, which would be so fun to play with those histories. Um, a lot of structural challenges there in terms of the organizations, but I think they would be really fun to work on. Um, some of the Japanese brands, like uh, my next video is going to be on Lexus and another one where it's like, uh, you know, the, the predator grill, right? The spindle grill, very, different, <laughs> very recognizable, but you know, different is easy. Good is yeah. hard. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was, Mies van der Rohe, he said, I, I don't want to be different. I want to be good. And, yeah. and yeah. I feel like Lexus just wanted to be different. <laughs> um, so I, I love the idea of making a recognizable fascia that is a new language that is 100% Japanese and 100% Lexus. I, I'd love to like take another stab at that project. Um, I look at also brands like Acura. I think it was maybe the second or or third generation TL and the, the legend where you're like, that is, man, that is Japanese luxury. It looks like it, mm. it looks like it was designed by Sony. You know, it looks like it was like machined out of a solid block of metal. And then I'm like, how could you, how could you lose it? Like you had it so good. And that, I don't remember it was the second or third generation TL sold so well in the U S like you still see them on the road. And and then to go from that to just making a series of forgettable designs, just literally, you're just like, I don't even, you know, just completely unmemorable. And that, that is the, I think the worst thing as a designer, like I would rather make this hypertruck. I'd rather make something that was very provocative and loathed or do mm -hmm. what Chris Bangle did um, than to make something that people just forget even existed. And, 
I, I think that's a little bit the the danger zone that BMW is in where I look at it. And I'm like, which one is that one? There's just so many of them. There's so many models and they all are just like a bajillion lines. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I would love to work on some of those brands um, because of their histories. Uh, and then on the flip side, I think it would be such an amazing challenge to work on a new brand. Um, like look at like what Arrival has done Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. delivery vehicles you're like man that thing is freaking cool like that is just that looks like an ev delivery truck like if i just you know close my eyes and, and so you said draw the first thing in your mind that's an ev delivery truck that's like the archetype of it and i, I feel like they nailed it um and i think that would be really fun to start from scratch um and i, I think working on uh things like for saic we worked on a shuttle bus, right? So it's like in this new world of shared access, right? Like what is it, what's a vehicle going to need to look like? Well, being aggressive and sporty doesn't make any sense, right? But being safe and friendly, that makes sense. If this thing is, if this thing is driving me, I'm not driving it and I'm riding around with 10 strangers. I want this thing to feel safe um, and, and welcoming. And what is that? Then let me ask you, then let me ask you something. Um, because you've mentioned obviously arrival, like new ideas. Could you imagine that, you know, breaking this mold of the old generation, putting it that way, do you think that a company like Nike could achieve that? I mean, they, from a, from a thinking perspective, you know, they've always challenged everything. You've mentioned obviously the manufacturing process, but do you think that from a, from a mental capability, um, obviously cash is enough there, I would say, they could move into transportation. I mean, they're technically, if you think about shoes, it's the easiest way of transporting one thing to another. Like you get from from A to B and you just walk and you have the shoes to protect you and to enhance you. But could could you believe that someone like Nike could maybe even move a little bit further? Because, you know, I mean you know, for them, their kind of thinking process, it, this would be incredible to compete with somebody like, like BMW, for example. I don't think they would because they, I think they know who they are, you know, and Nike's core belief, uh, their core ethos, their core mission is to make the best sports equipment for all athletes around the world. And there's an asterisk next to the word athlete. And at the bottom in small type, it says, if you have a body, you are an athlete. And so that's who they are. That's what they do. And so they make many things on the periphery of that, right? So, you know, like they made the fuel band and now they make an app that goes to the Apple watch, but it's all about fitness, athletic performance, um, celebrating. I, I helped, you know, when I was there, Uh, I, I tried to level it up a step further and made it about um, what I call human, the celebration of human achievement, right? That's what, that's what every sport is in essence, right? Like when you, uh, at the beginning of the season, all the teams are equal again. doesn't matter what your past performance was. Everybody's at zero and any team can win everything. And it's just all about celebration of achievement. That's what the Olympics are about. Um, so I don't think that moving I think moving into transportation would be so far outside of their core business model that it wouldn't make sense. You know, I'm a big believer in um, like McKinsey has this thing called the, the one step philosophy. And that's if mm -hmm. you're in an industry, you can take one step, right? So you know, Nike is a, 
a, a sportswear, footwear and apparel brand. And so, you know, making an Apple Watch uh, app about fitness is one step, but making a vehicle <laughs> that's just about everyday transport is like too many steps away from your core business. Um, that's my thought. I do think, I mean, obviously it's been so rumored, but, and I don't think it, I don't think it will happen, but I think a company that could do it, that has the technological know-how, the, the persistence and the money would be Apple, obviously. Right? They have the kind of cash reserves you would need to get into, um, to get into transportation. I mean, I, th- I think even just the, the, the legal aspects would be a, a issue for a company like Nike, like in their, their, what they make, there's not a ton of regulations, right. But now yeah. getting into this industry where there's not only so many government regulations, but every region has different regulations. I think, I think it would go against their, <laughs> their guerrilla spirit, um, but I think a company like Apple that already has to deal with those kinds of things um, and and obviously is already making products that help you navigate, um, that help, you know, they're already bringing 90% of the infotainment into the vehicle. Like, could they make the next logical extension, which would be the vehicle itself? Um, well, or at least the interior that comes with it. I think, you know, what I... As a, as a kind of a thought exercise, and I'm I'm thinking about this quite regularly. Actually, is like, how can these companies, um, you know, elevate the thought process of traditional uh, traditional car manufacturers, for example? Um, Apple is obviously on that list. I mean, we're not talking about necessarily the entire vehicle, but you know, if you're in the infotainment system, you can go in and say just like, okay, so. Uh, what could be an interior like, you know? And I think this kind of exchange is something that I find so interesting, but at the same time, it's not necessarily happening. It almost feels like it's being, you know, like the people avoid for something like this to happen, um, interestingly. And, you know, even somebody like Nike, um, if you if you think about it, um, you know, as, as as buses and stuff like that, it's just like, you know, what would be, if you have a bus, you know, for athletes or something like that coming from a stadium to somewhere else or something like that, it's just about a thought exercise. It's not about like, you know, they have to do it, but I think it's about this exchange of ideas and exchange of, um, you know, a thought process that is maybe stuck in other industries where the sharing aspect of it is, it would be, would be absolutely incredible to have. And unfortunately, I, I, I just don't see that happen, even though it would be so great for a lot of people. You know, especially with these kind of thought process leaders, such as let's say Nike. Um, in 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 that sense, you can obviously name Adidas for there as well. There's a bunch of other ones, of course, but just to kind of exchange this, Nintendo would be another one I I I, I rate extremely highly um, for something like that. But and that's why I love that's why I loved like the Honda Urban E concept because I'm like yeah, that did look like a Nintendo. <laughs> like it looked like you took like a 1970s Honda Civic and ran it through a Nintendo filter. And uh, I freaking loved that concept. And I was just like, that's to me, um, I, I just like, I, I have a, a really nice model of that concept on my desk here. And um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I, uh, I can't, I'm blanking on the name of the model company that made, made it, but um, it's so perfect to me uh, as a, as a, 
homologation of automotive and product design, basically. Um, I think if, if Nike were to make a vehicle, now that I thought about it for a second, I think the vehicle they would make would be an electric assist bicycle. That would be, yeah. that would be the Nike vehicle. It's like, well, you still have to work, uh, but we're going to get you around and do it efficiently. And it's going to be about an individual uh, getting around. And, and um, it would be, I mean, when I was there, I mean, I was really, you know, they never made, they'd never made a Nike bicycle. And that, it just seems like it would be a, that to me would be a one step, right? So. Exactly. That I, I mean, you know, you could go into the, uh, into the bicycle area, you could go into nowadays, these, uh, these scooters, uh, you know, that you have with, uh, with these sharing services and stuff like that. I mean, it's not that far away from each other. I would just sometimes hope that, you know, not obviously putting pressure on Nike and all these kind of companies, but it almost needs their kind of involvement and, you know, the way of their thought process to, um, to push these more established companies into this new level. Um, because otherwise, wh- where is the push coming from? It doesn't seem that the car industry can do these pushes anymore because they're so regulated, um, of course. And you know, it needs to be it needs to be a, kind of attracted by someone else or somebody who who's not afraid of doing certain kind of things. And um, who better than a company that maybe doesn't come from that kind of perspective? And even if it just means that it's about an interior, I mean, Apple could easily go to BMW and say, like, hey. Uh, you do your five series, seven series exterior, but we we build Apple interiors in that sense. I mean, there's there's no but no one that holds them back of doing this nowadays. It's uh, it's it's possible. Um, it's it's feasible in that sense, of course, as well. But you know, m- most importantly, I think it's it's not going to happen because maybe um, there's uh, there's a little bit of you know difference in terms of thinking like what is the best way to do it look at like the i I really like that the vw up doesn't even i don't think it even has a screen right it's just like yeah for your phone yeah and to me when i when i remember when i was at frog um audi came to us to do a hmi project we didn't get the project but they're like we want to make the best you know hmi in the car industry and i was like it's the wrong question like what do you mean Mm -hmm. wrong question like well you can make the best hmi in the automotive industry and still have the worst digital experience in someone's life because the best digital experience in their life is their smartphone. And that software changes, you know, it could change every day if Apple wanted it. And so and until you can do over the air um, updates, you'll, you'll, and, and until you take a really digital approach to this as a product, you'll never have the best HMI in someone's life. Um, and and I, and I was like, I don't want you to have a HMI. All I want this was bef- this was before CarPlay. All I want is my yeah. phone display to be on uh, on the screen. And we did a uh, remember when I mean it was in the '90s when when uh, aftermarket car radios had removable faces. And we did a concept for another brand that was basically that, where you know it was a magnetized HMI, and it was just you know the smartphone big magnet because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, smartphones are getting bigger. They're getting more capable. And yeah, they were, like you said, they were horrified that they would, you know, seed control of that. Um, but I was like, that's just what people want. You know, that's, that's what I want your H your systems to get out of my way so that I can get to the thing that I, I know how to use. And that is great. Um, and I, I think that's a, there's, there's really smart, talented people in, in, 
car companies. There's a lot of great designers out there. Um, and I, I, my challenge to those organizations would be to, to let your designers free, you know, let them, let them design, let them lead you and, and have, have the courage to take a risk because really the biggest risk that any business can take is not taking a risk. You know, that is, that is at best a two to 3% gain and at worst total failure. Um, whereas I feel like consumers are, are looking for brands that, that try things and, and, um, you know, and, and I think that's why Tesla has been so successful. I mean, I, I remember, you know, at Nike, we used to say, we don't, we don't have consumers, we have believers. And, and I feel like Apple is like that, right? They don't, they don't, the people that buy Apple products believe in the company. And all of my friends that own Teslas, it's like, it doesn't matter that the bumpers fall off or <laughs> there's like huge panel gaps. Like I point out all these things. They just don't care. They just believe in that brand and they feel in their deepest of like their hearts that their purchase is helping the future come sooner. And, you know, do people feel that way when they buy a Honda or a BMW or a Volkswagen? I don't think so. You know, 100% agree. And I think, you know, there's, um, I'm, I'm getting quite a bit of stick for that as well, because I'm, I'm a massive sports fan, you know, and if you, if you look into Tesla, if you look into Apple and Nike to a certain degree, of course, as well, these are companies that are almost much more like sports clubs. You know, it's almost like not explainable why you like this club, but it's almost unconditional as well. You know, you keep on you keep on following it, even if there's a bad experience and like, you know, if you're over here in Europe, your your team gets relegated and you go through some tough times. But there's always something that goes with that. And I think, you know, like there's there's obviously Alpha, uh, Aston Martin, those kind of companies where the people have this affiliation for the for the brand and like this it's almost like a love that comes with it, which is which is an explanation that um is is very difficult to just kind of, you know, put into numbers, but it's just something that uh, there's there's something much deeper than that. It's it's really this fandom, and it's you know it's it's almost like uh, this this higher level of belief that this company or this 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 team or whatever sports club will make it. Um, and this is I think really interesting because a lot of designers in particular uh, don't necessarily like sports. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the people that do or have an understanding for it understand you know, the importance of the design and the brand to a much higher extent because, you know, if you have this this affiliation with any kind of sport or even like a person that plays a sport, you know, that you can feel for, you understand what you're working for because then you want your product to be felt in exactly the same way as well. Yeah. And and I think as I'm going to go out on a, a limb and it might sound ridiculous, but I think the the brand that will be that next brand in the automotive world, I think, as it as what I'm seeing right now, I think will be Kia, and mm -hmm. it's almost unthinkable ten years ago. Um, but even you know, obviously being a car guy, a lot of friends ask me for recommendations, and if a friend is if a friend is asking me um, if a friend is asking me what he should buy, and he's thinking about a BMW 5 Series or a Dodge Charger, I'm like, go buy a Kia Stinger. 
Yeah. 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 These guys made the coolest rear wheel drive full size sedan and it's from a Korean company and it's like packed with tech. It's packed with features. It's a cool design, super distinctive and it's fast. <laughs> you know, so to me, I think that when, when brands do things like that, that signals to me, oh, the people that work for this company care about cars. They care about the product they're making. So I'm very excited to see what they do um, going forward. And I think they've, you know, it's, they've recruited a lot of really talented people from, from BMW, from, from Audi. Like you look at the, the roster of people that work there. You know, again, to your sports team analogies, right? It's like, and your favorite yeah. athletes all go to a different team, and you're like, oh boy, that team's going to be good. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is where then you know, obviously, the top level management comes in because if you look back into some of the best sports teams in terms of individuals, don't necessarily win everything. You know, they they need some time to to get to know each other. They need some some time to get to know their strengths and stuff. And uh, that's that's the beauty of it as well. It's not just that you can you know put a bunch of people together in one room and it's the same for design. Just because you have a bunch of great designers doesn't necessarily mean uh, you know a great product comes out of it. It's more about you know how how can this all fit together, and rather than just you know let's let, let's hope this works and let's just get the best people together. So, um, and this is you know I think where you know design and sports comes together in a very close way. It's you know. You don't need all the best people just in one room. That won't work. That's true. I agree. Yeah. And and also, and leadership is so important, right? Like having the right coach, having the right general manager, like makes all the difference in the team. Agree. Agree. But um, all right, Michael, we've, we've been talking for about an hour and I do really appreciate you taking the time. So uh, thank you very much for having the conversation. But... Before I let you go, every guest on the show is going to get three questions. <laughs> the first two ones that I'm going to ask you, uh, you can you can you can answer any way you want. This is nothing that is car specific or any kind of way. Uh, this is more about your personal feeling. The first one is very car specific, but uh, let's crack on with it. Question number one: Which project that you have not participated in uh, would you absolutely have loved to participate in? from any kind of decade or anything you can imagine? Um, I think this might be a uh, predictable answer, but the uh, the first Audi TT would have been an amazing project to have been a part of. And, and I think uh, for a lot of, a lot of, you know, for me, I was in design school at the time when that came out as a concept, I think 1995. And I remember seeing, um, that car at the car show, the concept and just being like, Oh my God, you know, like it's just so different. And I remember I was at the car show with, with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife and, um, of my wife of 20 plus years. And we saw that and she's like, what is that? And I was like, Oh, that's the Audi TT, but we'll never make it. And, and she was like, why, why wouldn't they make it? And I was like, well, it's, it's just, it's so designerly. It's so like what a designer would want that it's just I don't think it'll go that way it's so simple it's not like quote unquote sports car and and she just turned to me she's like they will make it and we will own it and uh, <laughs> I have a 2001 uh Audi TT Quattro uh convertible with the baseball glove optic stitching package um in in uh 
that really nice gray color. And I, I mean, I've had it for over, for over 15 years. Um, and so to have been a part of that would have been amazing. Um, and I recently had dinner with, with Jay Mays. Um, and I told him that story and he was like, I think that might be my favorite TT story. (laughs) The fact (laughs) and you know, it's the first Audi we bought, um, and we just never get rid of it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Number two, uh, which is the most influential designer to your career? Uh, either you have worked with or just in general inspirational. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge student of design history. I love Uh, I love reading about designers um, like Elliot Noyes and architects. And I think the most influential to me would probably have to be Raymond Lowy. Um, I loved that he would basically only work with the owners or executives at companies that he worked with, uh, that he felt and knew that he could design anything from a cigarette package to a Greyhound bus. um, Mm -hmm. And that he had, influence uh a tremendous amount of influence over decades and decades of time cool and last but certainly not least this is the car question if i would give you a blank check what car would you buy wow that is a really hard question uh it's like and and uh there's so many cars running through my mind i mean i guess if i had to like just pick a favorite design that i that i would love to just i would love to wash this car it would be probably an aston martin db4 uh, zagato um nice such a beautiful car um and um yeah and especially if you you know sometimes you see one that's just in a polished aluminum body and just mm. it looks incredible that's quite expensive but with a blank check nothing's too expensive i guess <laughs> Thanks so much for, for having me on. You know, I have to say I was, you know, I, I made that, that BMW video and I was honestly quite nervous about it. I almost didn't make it public. And uh, my my wife and business partner, we run the studio together. I showed it to her and I was like, should I make this public? What do you think? And she's like, no, I think, I think designers will be really intrigued by it. And um, I have to say like 90% of the feedback has been really positive. So um, thanks so much. Uh, you, you, obviously, I I saw it as well, and I I want to say, you know, like the reason why we do these podcasts, and also like you know why I appreciate the video that you did so much is it's okay to not like everything, you know, but as long as you talk about it, as long as you show how you maybe would do things a little bit differently, and you know that you have your own solutions to it, I think that that shows other designers, young and old it's not just about the idea of criticizing. It's more about just like, hey, how can we do things differently? You know, how can we think about things a little bit differently? And why why is it that important? And and that was the point for me is where I said, like, I think, you know, having these conversations also with you, of course, on the podcast is so important to the people that, you know, it's okay to not like everything. You know, we're, we're in a business where, you know, people like it or people don't like it. It's, you know, we cannot change that. It's just the way it is. But um, we, we should talk about these things. And uh, that's why I, you know, I do very much appreciate you taking the time, uh, being so open uh, with us about uh, about everything that you've, you've explained and uh, shared with us. So, um, yeah, a massive thank you to you, Michael. I do appreciate all the time you, you took this morning. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and stay safe. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Hopefully we'll meet again sometime.
All right, thank you very much. 